Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Gills Talk podcast. I am your host, Kristen Kibblehouse, and today we have Gills Club scientist Dr. Britt Finucci on the pod. If you have been following the Gills Club for many years now, you might be familiar with Britt. We featured her a few years ago before she got her PhD. So now we are going to hear what her current work is. We are going to do a, do a deep dive. When I say deep dive, we are going to the deep depths of our ocean today, learning about deep sea sharks, skates, chimeras off the New Zealand coastline. So strap in and let's get right into our interview with Dr. Britt Finucci. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Gills Talk podcast. Today, we have Dr. Britt Finucci on a refresher for learning about Britt today. Um, if anyone's been following for a while, the last time we featured Britt, she was going toward her PhD, and now that has been accomplished. So we're very happy to have a little bit of a refresher on what has Britt been working on since the last update. So welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So all the way from New Zealand this morning, um, well, morning for you, it's night for me here on the East Coast of the US. So good morning to you. (laughs) (laughs) And yes, hello. Hello from the future. So just to kick it off and get started right away. So since the last time we have featured you, um, what is your research focused on? You can talk about your PhD work, what you're currently doing, a little mix of both, whatever you would like. So yeah, it's, it's been a, a couple years now since we realized a minute ago. Um, since graduating, done a lot of different things. I'm currently employed as a fishery scientist at our national institute here called NIWA. And I have been lucky enough to kind of take over the, the SHARP program that we have here um, the last couple of years. And my work, it's varies considerably it really depends on uh what kind of funding is available what the government wants last year for example i kind of shifted from you know my focus for my phd was deep water species and last year was actually spent much i spent most of my time looking at our protected species um which is we've got we've got eight different species that includes white sharks basking sharks whale sharks uh, much more of those charismatic species and as a fishery scientist most of my day is essentially counting fish in one form or another um, sometimes I get to go out to sea and count the actual fish themselves take measurements of the animals um, which is my favorite part of of my job um, other times I'm sitting in front of the computer uh, counting the fish from observer records so we've got fisheries observers that go out on the commercial vessels and they record what the commercial vessels are catching and that is a way of how we monitor um, what's going on out in the big ocean and yeah we're looking for trends we're looking for patterns we're looking for anything that can indicate you know if we're catching more of a species if we're catching less of a species if there's anything we can do to reduce our interactions with these with these fish so yeah it's kind of all over the place at the moment I've shifted to Antarctic work so I'm looking more at Antarctic skates at the moment um, and that's more biological focus Uh, we're looking to validate age and growth um, in one of our main bycatch species Um, so yeah that's that's what I'm focusing at the moment Um, I can't tell you what I'm going to do in about six months from now it's it yeah it's all over the place well, you definitely never have um, one day be, be the same then. 
<laughs> yes yeah yeah and it is it is nice I, I, I kind of like having you know being the having the ability to try different things and having a familiarity with you know a lot of different techniques and and species too I get to work with a whole wide range of of shark trays and occasionally chimeras still as well which is great going into the array of species I think we should start with um, the deep water sharks because we haven't had a scientist since season one talk about deep water sharks when we had Vicky Vasquez on. So mm-hmm. I think we should kind of start into that and talk about your PhD project a little bit. The deep water sharks are the best sharks. They do account for half of our, you know, our known diversity of all the sharks out there. And um, my PhD uh, was focused on uh, looking at some of our bycatch species. So deep water sharks in particular are our main bycatch in our offshore fishery. So bycatch is essentially unwanted catch in trawl and longline fisheries. And my project was based around kind of filling in some of the biological and ecological gaps of some of the, the species. It was kind of, we we didn't decide on which species I was going to work at, uh, on sorry, work on. When I first started, it was kind of luck of the draw and depending on what species actually come up. We had no control over that. Luckily, I got to work on one of my favorite sharks, which is prickly dogfish, which is quite a little small dopey, dopey-eyed shark that doesn't look like your your typical shark. But I think one of my favorite things that came out of my PhD was actually describing their diet. Um, it turned out that they really liked eating eggs um, and embryos of other sharks, particularly chimeras, in this case. So it was, it, that was that was quite a neat find. We also looked at our research trawl surveys and we're looking at patterns of aggregations and yeah just just kind of teasing through the data um my uh, what i wanted out of my phd was skills to to get me a job later on which worked out so um, i worked a lot with Niwa uh throughout my phd um so when a when the job came up you know i was kind of I don't want to say I was a shoe in, but I had that first foot in the door, um, which probably definitely helped me get my my job at the end of the day. That sounds really interesting. One, like I'm always just in awe of just deep water sharks and chimeras and anything in the deep because we just really don't get to see them a lot. And unfortunately, when we do, it is because of that result of bycatch then. So one, you saying that you were able to um, describe the diet of you said prickly dogfish prickly dogfish yeah prickly do- dogfish okay I thought I wrote that right on on they're my, my called, more globally they're called rough sharks um, ah, and yes. they've got they've got rough skin they're they're their dermodenticles are, are raised and they're actually they're a giant pain in the butt to handle because they are so so prickly at the end of the day but yeah they're cool they're cool little sharks definitely my favorite the dermal denticle side of just deep water sharks too, because I feel like a lot of them do have larger denticles, if I'm right on that assumption or not. But I think, it, do we can assume is that a way for them to just defend themselves down there in the deep more? I don't think that's a way to defend themselves, but they do have other means of defending themselves. Most of these deep water species have spines of mm. sorts. Some of them are incredibly sharp. Um, I mean, the only time I've you want to say I've never been attacked by a shark I have had a shark actually flip its tail around and stab me essentially with one of its spines so that's that's definitely a means of how they protect themselves down there um, chimeras as well have massive long dorsal fin spines 
which apparently, according to the literature, are mildly poisonous. I, I haven't been curious enough to stab myself with one of them and see what happens. Um, <laughs> but, but we do know, I mean, there's, there's a paper, there's some obscure papers out there that have actually, they've documented cases. So a lot of um, what we're finding is that uh, seals and uh, sea lions actually like to eat chimeras quite a bit. Um, we found that leopard seals here in New Zealand uh, love eating chimeras, but a lot of these seals and sea lions and leopard seals and such, they actually end up getting a lot of injuries from, from the spines of the chimeras. You can actually see we've got leopard seal images of them lounging on the beach and they've got like a giant chimera spine hanging out of their, their, their mouth. And there's been a few documented cases of deaths of sea lions, I think off the uh, coast of California. And apparently their throats were just, they were just damaged and covered with all these spines that they had tried to consume and they, they got stuck in their, their, their throats. So yeah, they, 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 they don't look that ferocious, but they, uh, they're tricky little animals. Nature is just so gnarly. Yeah, that's like the best. <laughs> gnarly, way yes, that is that is a good that is a good way of putting it. They're gnarly little creatures. Yes, but I think then because there's a couple different things that we can talk about. But I know when I first reached out to you about the 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 podcast and we were scheduling things um, earlier this year, I know that that's when you were going to the Antarctic to do an expedition. So I would love going into that because I just think doing work up there one I hate being cold so I don't know how you did it <laughs> um so I would love to hear more about those ex those expeditions and days on the boat you know looking at skates and all the fun things about it so I haven't actually gone to the Antarctic itself yet um, oh, we do okay. have um, New Zealand New Zealand's got its own sub Antarctic area which yeah. is I mean, it's still pretty cold. I, um, I'm originally from Canada, so I'm kind of used to growing up in mm. very cold weather. I'm not a fan of it, but I'll deal with it. But yeah, as, as far as going to sea, our trips, depending on where you go, they generally last anywhere from a month to, to six weeks. Um, if you are going down to the true Arch Antarctic, um, they are a lot longer because it just takes so much longer to actually get the boat down there. That is on my bucket list. I am trying to to work my way into a trip one of these days. Our main objective on these trips, these are research trawl surveys. The main objective is to take samples of our commercial fish stocks. So we've got commercial species like hokey, um, which people might be more familiar with as a filet fish the McDonald's fish. And yeah, we're, we're out there taking measurements and collecting samples and uh, that all the data is in process um, and monitor to ensure that what the, the fisheries are catching is sustainable and that the fish stocks are doing okay. Um, so we can continue fishing in the future. While we are out there, we also do come across a lot of other species, including a lot of sharks. Uh, so we make the best use of what we can out there and we will just basically measure anything and everything uh, that we can out there. So yeah, I, you know, they're, they're long days, they're 12 hour shifts. Um, I generally go on the night shift because uh, that's when we usually do the deeper toes and that's when we get the really weird and cool stuff that comes up. Um, those shifts start at 3 a.m. No, sorry, 3 p.m. So it's 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. So your, your concept of a day just gets thrown out the window. 
some days, some days there's not much going on and, you know, we're just sitting around waiting to, for the boat to get to the next uh, station. Some days it's just full on and it's just constantly processing fish after fish after fish and you're just covered in fish guts and fish scales and all the likes. But yeah, you see some absolutely amazing things out there. I have seen species that I'll probably never see again. Last trip I was out there, we got a frilled shark, uh, which was super cool. Um, I was so excited. Um, I had been really seasick that day, actually. And then this frilled shark came up and I just like, you know, instantly snapped out of it and got up and started running around. And it's just really neat to see some of these these deep water species that you hear about and you see about in pictures, but to actually see one right in front of you is just a whole nother level. That would be incredible to see a, a frilled shark. I mean, they're just like these really weird eel-like sharks that feel like they they're should be thrown so from the weird. dinosaur times. Like yep, they're so weird. And with deep sea species too, you know, a lot of them um, have glowing eyes. So you actually see the glow. Um, which is just another level of weirdness. We've had a researcher go out to look at the bioluminescence of shark, and we we're actually able to see the bioluminate, like uh, see one of the sharks bioluminescent. So yeah, you just it's just weird and wonderful things out there, and you really get a grasp of how little we actually know about our environment. And you know, all the time we're out there, and we'll come across some fish, and you know. Me and another guy who's been out there for 20 years, we look at it and we're like, I don't know what that is. And he's just like, I don't know either. Never seen it before. There's always there's always something that, you know, even if you've been out there a million times, there's always something different that comes up. And yeah, there's just so many things to discover. Mm -hmm. What's the weirdest thing you've come upon? The weirdest thing? Um, good question. We did catch a flabby whale shark, or whale fish, sorry. Flabby whale fish? I think that's what the common name is. The last shark. Never even yeah. heard of that. that, it, that yeah, exactly. It was just it was that flabby whale fish. Might have to check up on that, but I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Yeah, but that was it's just basically a little blob. It's a fish. It's a very rare fish, and it was just funny that you know we've got fish ID books, and me and a friend were going through one of those one of them um, during one of the days, and we we're making kind of a wish list. Of species oh yeah that'd be cool to see that'd be cool to see and like hey flabby whalefish and that's weird name I, I honestly can't remember the, the scientific name at the moment um and literally the next toe you know we're, we're, got, we're sorting through fish and this blob is there we're kind of looking at that and we're like no I'm kind of poked at it a bit flipped it around and started like propping it back up and I'm like holy crap that's a little flabby whalefish but yeah that was that was definitely a weird one uh, we've caught some giant squid. Um, I have seen a couple of giant squid, which is quite cool. Funny enough, they are actually small giant squids, supposedly, according to the, the squid nerds. We've always got a couple of squid. There's a really good group of squid experts in New Zealand, and there's always one or two of them that come out on the boats. Um, super keen about squids and get super excited. So giant squid's kind of like the best one that they can they can come across they get very excited about it but we've got some I mean I've seen giant squids that are bigger than me but apparently are still quite small in terms of giant squid ah so many cool things so you also said that they're like it also varies depending on the tr on your shift that sometimes it could be not as busy as others but is there like on average like how many fish you process in a time or is it truly just like whatever it could be 
it's it's all over the place sometimes we see a lot sometimes we see pretty much nothing um and you know these these surveys they're designed to be to, to essentially randomly sample the environment so we are getting um a good representative picture of what's going on in the environment i mean we could you know if we wanted to actually fish we'd go to the places where we know that yeah. you know fish are abundant and we're going to see the fish but that's not the objective objective of the survey so yeah it is it is a, it's from previous trips you can kind of have an an estimate of you know whether you're going to hit a spot that's going to be busy or not but sometimes it's just out of the blue and if we're lucky we get to do also some really deep toes so for us in New Zealand most of our fishing the, the kind of the deep water fishing is between four and eight hundred meters but when we can too we also do some toes that are over a thousand meters deep and those are kind of luck of the draw. Sometimes there's nothing in them, and sometimes there's quite a bit. If we're lucky, we'll get some deep sea chimeras, which are always my favorite. We'll also get some deep sea cat sharks as well, which are quite cool themselves because a lot because we're still trying to figure out exactly what species they are. They all look exactly the same. So yeah, it's yeah, it's completely luck of the draw sometimes. Oh man, there's so many things that I could ask you about. I keep looking back at my notes with everything. Um, I know you also met, mentioned with this work, you're looking at age and growth as well. So when I know our, our staff scientist here at the Conservancy, Megan Winton, she did her master's work on age and growth of skates on the, on the Pacific side. And so I know when she was talking about it, that that's when you that you look at the vertebra columns and it's hard for them because they're so small and you have to look under the microscope. So is that the same type of process that you're using over there? Or is it completely different? Uh, so we're looking at caudal thorns actually. So with, um, I'm not sure what, I, I, I am familiar with Megan's work, but I can't remember what species she looked at at the moment. But when you try and age deep water species, um, the aging structures tend to be a lot more useless essentially um they don't get the same kind of hard structured calcified structuring that most shallow water species so we've found that you know looking at the vertebrae is actually pointless there's no there's no indication of growth on them at all this particular project the the species we're looking at the, the one in the amblyria um we're looking at the caudal thorns so these are big thorns that kind of that um grow along the the, the dorsal side of the animal um, and down the tail. I mean, the nice thing with this technique is that if it can work, it can potentially be a non-lethal means of aging skates. When you do look at uh, the, the thorns under the microscope, there are indications of some sort of growth. Um, there are, you know, it kind of looks like tree rings, which is what you're, you're after to actually age the animals, but we have no idea how often the animals are depositing these rings. So that's what we're trying to figure out at the moment. Uh, and to do that, we started a, a program a couple of years ago. Basically any skate that was caught was chemically injected um, with one of two chemicals that have been used for aging in the past. Um, the primary one being oxytetracycline. Uh, this is a chemical that binds to essentially calcium. Uh, within the the animal, and if we can if you can if you can tag the animal at the right time, then the animal will actually incorporate the oxytetracycline into its into essentially any hard parts in its body. Uh, sometimes that is 
uh, vertebrae in some of the more shallow species. Uh, I was trying to figure out if if that will work in the, the caudal thorns. So that that most of that work was done about two years ago, and we've just been it's it's a long waiting game now. Um, mm -hmm. Basically, we wait for the fishing season to happen, and any animals that are recaptured that we know have been injected are kept and we're now just looking at the animals to actually see if we can pick up these these chemical markings in their in the in the, the caudal thorns in the first instance sorry we probably need a few more years before we actually can confirm whether or not this is this is a method that works that has to be a challenge right to be able to you know, you have to pretty much anticipate and hoping that you're going to recapture the same, the same animal that you're doing this in. So is there a method to it that like, you know, are they staying in the same, same area? I have no idea how, what skate migration yeah, we, and movement patterns are. It, it seems to be the case. It seems that these skates are quite lazy and they don't move, which is helpful. But yeah, again, it's, completely it's complete luck whether or not we're recapturing them um, each skate is tagged with at least two tags and we can match those tag numbers back to when they were initially captured and then we have an idea so that not every single skate was injected with the chemical marker so there's a process of you know catching a skate but then also catching a skate that was chemically marked the yeah but from what we're seeing it doesn't look like these animals are moving very much I've had a couple so we've had there's been tagging programs oh they happen they seem to happen about every decade and so the the first batch of skates that were tagged ages ago we do pick up the occasional one you know I think the oldest one I have now that's been recaptured was about 12 years after it was first captured and it was basically recaptured in the exact same spot that it was initially um, initially captured so you know it's it, it's not, we don't know for sure whether or not that skate has remained there the entire time. It may have gone somewhere and then come back. But yeah, for what we are seeing is that most of the animals that are captured in one location tend to be recaptured in pretty much the same location. So, I mean, I, I don't blame them. If, the, if the, everything they need is there, there's no need for them to really. Oh. They've got, they've got, you know, companions. They, why, why bother? I, I would do the same thing. I would just sit on the bottom and be lazy all day too. Oh, same, same. <laughs> okay, well that well that's nice then at least then at least there's a little bit more predictability to it then. It's not just crossing your fingers and hoping for luck the next time. Then. <laughs> but yeah. I think it's crossing looking... the fingers waiting for the, the it's for the chemical mark. That's the yes. that's the impatient part. And yeah, so we just had to we got to wait for the fishing season which happens in our summer months, which is here in New Zealand. It's, you know, kind of December to December, January, and February are generally when they're fishing. So it's kind of wait, gotta wait till next year, wait till the next batch, see what happens, what they catch, and it's a patient game. Well, it just gives you time to do all the other projects that you're involved in, right? <laughs> yes. Yep. 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 There's always stuff to keep me busy. <laughs> so I think looking at all of the species that you've worked with, do you have a favorite species that you look forward to when you do a different? project or do you just I know it's hard to pick one shark species but is there one that you always love to go back to I know you said you love your deep water sharks when you also get to work with you know like white sharks and basking sharks and whale sharks which are they you know these large like charismatic animals as well but I feel like the small ones also have their like little like charisma and spunk too 
Oh, totally. Yeah. I mean, a prickly dogfish will always be my favorite at heart. Um, same with the chimeras. I, I really like working on species that we don't know a whole lot about, um, okay. particularly those that are potentially at risk, species we know that are captured in fisheries, um, species we don't really know a lot about. I mean, even, even in New Zealand, um, basking sharks are very data deficient. I know they're well studied elsewhere in the world, but we don't know much about them in New Zealand, and it would be fantastic if we could find a place where we could actually start tagging them here to understand their their movement patterns and and you know um, understand their interactions with fisheries a little bit more because it does happen and mm -hmm. in the fishery the the fisheries don't want to catch them we don't want them to be caught so we need to be able to actually understand enough about the animals so then we can develop um, mitigation methods to to stop them from getting caught in the first place so yeah, I, I'm I'm a fan of the little guys, the the under understudied and underrated species. Happy to work on whatever needs to be done, really. Mm -hmm. You sound very much like Melanie Hutchinson. She her episode just released earlier um, last week, and very similar. She works, you know, for NOAA here within the U.S. and very much working with sharks that are high bycatch and connecting and trying to you know learn. Um, you know, with these types of models and methods, very similar to you, you know, being able then to put forth those types of per protections or being able to just, you know, like learn more about them and where, and where they go. So it's nice to see that even though I would assume, um, that Niwa is like the Noah of. Yeah, pretty New much. Zealand it would be, it would be the equivalent, different kind of way of how it works and stuff but it is yeah if you were to if you wanted something to compare it with yeah melanie i did get the opportunity she was over here pre-covid so one of that like three or four years ago now um yeah. yeah she was over with new zealand we had a big kind of wider pacific project and i did get to meet her then she's uh, she's fantastic she's done a lot of great work and yeah it's a similar kind of things i I like to work on as well. I, I'm very jealous because Melanie gets to actually work with a lot more of these species, actually handle them. Um, yeah. yeah, the problem the problem with New, and New Zealand is that, and with deep water species in general, that it, they can be difficult to find. Deep water research is very expensive, so yeah, we don't we don't quite get the same opportunities as to to actually study the animals in their wild habitat as you as you do with um, some of the pelagic species. Mm -hmm. Now, is that something maybe you didn't expect getting into this role of science? Because it's still very much today, if you are, you know, watching Shark Week or something on that geo or just like a TV show or anything on YouTube, it's scientists that are in the field doing work. And if when I'm meeting youth in schools or just people at outreach events, they think that, you know, that research se season is only when we're in the field, when really re research is an all year time. It's just that not a lot of it is it in the field looking at the animal that you are researching yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah it was it was a bit surprising at first I guess but you know kind of working with Niwa through my PhD I, I kind of under, I got to understand what's actually involved in the research that gets done here um, but that is that is something that you know a lot of people when I talk to them they're they're quite surprised about they're like oh you're not in the field I'm like no actually a lot of my days are spent staring at a computer um, which is not ideal but that's that's the way it goes I think the I think if anything what surprised me most is how much time and effort I spend asking for money 
<laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't expect. And yeah, and now I've been um, put in charge with a little bit more project management, which again, involves more paperwork and more, more, you know, asking for funds and kind of giving out funds. And yeah, so I didn't expect that much. Yeah, I always tell tell kids in school that stay in, if you want to go to science, please have English and your re- reading and writing skills up there as well, because you can't do science without asking for money or getting money from someone <laughs> or something. Yep, yep, definitely. There is there is an art to it. <laughs> and yeah. the way with my, my institute works, you know, I've got not only to ask for or to find funding to cover equipment and field work time and stuff. But I've got to cover um, basically every work hour that I work. I've got to find a project that covers that time. So yeah, it's 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 a lot of it's a lot of yeah, a lot of applications, a lot of grant requests. Thankfully, <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting to the habit where I can copy and paste a lot of things, which is slowly starting to save me time. Nice. It's good to have a system down. <laughs> it, it's getting there. It gets getting there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I think to wrap up our interview today, um, I would love to hear advice that you have to either your younger self or maybe someone that is listening here that is currently coming up through the ranks of school wanting to get into this field. If I was, you know, to talk to my my younger self, for me, I I didn't quite have, you know, the the stereotypical path of of getting to where I am. You know, I I, I'm the only person in my family that's done postgraduate studies. I'm the only person in my family that's done science. So, and, you know, I, I grew up very far from any sort of marine environment. So going into marine field was, and in science was quite absurd. So I didn't really have, I wasn't aware, I didn't have a mentor. I wasn't sure how to actually get into the field and what needed to be done and what I needed. It was just, you know, people told me go to university and just you'll find a job. But there's a lot more to it than just taking, you know, courses and getting good grades. So I think it would have been just nice. I think I would have told myself to actually just reach out to people. And, you know, especially if, you if you know, I didn't have a lab. So just, I, had, I just didn't know what I was doing, to be honest. And it was getting to where I am was a lot of trial and error. Um, so I think it just would have been nice to to talk to someone, whether that's actually reaching out to people directly, just to just have an idea of, you know, what's expected and what's needed. And that's that is evolving all the time. I mean, I I have students now and the, the requirements that they need and that the expectations they have, they're completely different than what they were a decade ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my expectations and my needs were completely different to what my supervisor had. Um, so it is ever evolving, um, but it does help to have someone who's been through the whole system to understand how it works and, you know, what experience to get and who to talk to and that kind of stuff. So just, yeah, if you're, if you're stuck and say, reach out to people. Yeah, I, for sure. I think that is one really good advice because very similar to me, I was the first one in my family, actually the only one in my family to go to college at all. So for mm-hmm. me excuse the motorcycle I just went through (laughs) um but yeah first person in my family to go to college and you know fill us fill out the FAFSA form figure it all out you know what to do with signing up for classes or figuring out what to do once I got to college and figuring out 
like classes to take and things like that. So yes, being able just to, if, or if it isn't at your university, just knocking on a professor's door, the worst that they can say is I can't talk right now, but let's schedule a time to, or if it is emailing someone again, they might say, can't answer your email right now, but give it a couple of days or a couple of weeks, depending on what they're doing, if they're out in the field. So. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah. And you know, if they say no, then you, you find someone else. Mm -hmm. It's just, yeah, if they're, if they're a good person and they, they realize they're busy and they just can't, can't help at the moment, they will be honest about it and hopefully pass on somebody, you know, contact details of someone who can. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm, for sure. So before I do let you go today, is there social media that people can follow you on or um, how they can follow your work? Uh, yeah, I am on Twitter and Instagram as well. It's just under my name. Um, I'm I'm very easy to stalk. I'm pretty sure I'm the only Brit Finucci in the world. So if anyone <laughs> wants to find me, it's really not that hard. Uh, yeah, when I can, I mean, especially after voyages, I try and put up at least images of weird things that that I get to see out at sea um and baby ghost shark did very well early in the year I'm still not sure why but yeah it did so yeah if that's yeah that's those are the best ways to to, to reach out and keep in touch awesome well then everyone make sure you follow Britt on her her socials to keep up to date and see what maybe some weird deep water species she finds next to be able to share with us so thank you so much for coming on today yeah thanks for having me thank you so much for listening to this episode of the gills talk podcast please remember to rate subscribe and review and as always remember to stay curious stay inspired and always learn and we'll catch you on the next episode bye everyone